Section eight of Aunt Judy's Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruhi Huck. Aunt Judy's Tales by Margaret Gatty. Section eight nothing to do part two it was rather late when this was settled and the little ones had stayed upstairs to play at a newly invented game bazaars in the nursery but when number three strode in with the announcement of the story there was a shout of delight followed by the old noisy rush downstairs to the dining room it is not a bad thing to be a little one now and then in spirit people would do very well to try and be so oftener who that has looked upon a picture of himself as a little one has not wished that he could be restored to the little one's spirit the little one's innocence the little one's hopeful trust of such is the kingdom of heaven and though none of us would like to live our lives over again lest our errors should be repeated and so doubled in guilt all of us at the sight of what we once were would fain very fain if we could lie down to sleep and awake a little one again never perhaps is the sweet mercy of an early death brought so closely home to our apprehension as when the grown-up careworn man looks upon the image of himself as a child happily however nay more than happily mercifully the grown-up man if he do but put on the humility may gain something of the peace of a little one's heart aunt judy had twisted up a roll of muslin for a turban on her head by the time they came down for said she this is to be an eastern tale and i shall not be inspired that is to say i shall not get on a bit unless there is a costume and manners to correspond so you three little ones squat yourselves down turkish fashion on the floor with your legs tucked under you there now that's something like and i begin to feel myself in the east nevertheless i am rather glad there is no critical eastern traveller at hand listening through the keyhole to my blunders however errors excepted here is the wonderful story of the king of the hills and his four sons a great many years ago in a country which cannot be traced upon the maps but which lies somewhere between the great rivers indus and euphrates lived selim king of the hills his riches were unlimited his palaces magnificent and his dresses and jewels of the most costly description he never condescended to wear a diamond unless it was inconveniently large for his fingers and the fiery opals which adorned his turban like those in the mineral room at the british museum shimmered and blazed in such a surprising manner that people were obliged to lower their eyes before the light of them powerful as well as rich king skelin could have anything in the world he wished for but such is the perversity of human nature he cared very little for anything except smoking his pipe of which to say the truth he was so fond that he would have been well contented to have done nothing else all day long it seemed to him the nearest approach to the sublimest of all ideas of human happiness the having nothing to do he caused his four sons to be brought up in luxurious ease his wish for them being 
that they should remain ignorant of pain and sorrow for as long a period of their lives as was possible so he built a palace for them at the summit of one of his beautiful hills where nothing disagreeable or distressing could ever meet their eyes and he gave orders to their attendants that they should never be thwarted in anything every wish of their hearts therefore was gratified from their baby days but so far from being in consequence the happiest they were the most discontented children in his dominions from the first year of their birth king skilim had never been able to smoke his pipe in peace there were always messages coming from the royal nursery to the smoking room asking for something fresh for the four young princes who were owing to some mysterious cause incapable of enjoying any of their luxurious indulgences for more than a few hours together at first these incessant demands for one thing or another for the children surprised and annoyed their papa considerably but by degrees he got used to it and took the arrival of the messengers as a matter of course the very nurses began it may it please your majesty the young princes your majesty's incomparable sons may their shadows never be less are tired of their jewelled rattles and have thrown them on the floor doubtless they would like india-rubber rings with bells better then get them india-rubber rings with bells was all king skelim said and turned to his pipe again and so it went on perpetually until one day it came to may it please your majesty the young princes your majesty's incomparable sons may their shadows never be less have thrown their hobby horses into the river and want to have live ponies instead at the first moment the king gave his usual answer then get them live ponies instead from a sort of mechanical habit but the words were scarcely uttered when he recalled them this request awoke even his sleepy soul out of its smoke dream and inquiring into the ages of his sons and finding that they were of years to learn as well as to ride he dismissed their nurses placed them in the hands of tutors and procured for them the best masters of every description for said he what saith the proverb kings govern the earth but wise men govern kings my sons shall be wise as well as kingly and then they shall govern themselves and after settling this so cleverly king skelim resumed his pipe in the confident hope that now at last he should smoke it in peace for said he when my sons shall become wise through learning they will be more moderate in their desires i do not know whether his majesty's incomparable sons relished this change from nurses to tutors but on that particular point they were allowed no choice so if they bemoaned themselves in their palace on the hill their father knew nothing of it and so often the disagreeableness of the restraint which learning imposes king skelim gave more strict orders than ever that provided the young gentlemen only learnt their lessons well every whim that came into their heads should be complied with soon as expressed in spite of all his ingenious arrangements however the royal father did not enjoy the amount of repose he expected all was quiet enough during lesson hours is true but as soon as ever that period had elapsed the young princes became as restless as ever nay the older they grew the more they wanted and the less pleased they became with what was granted from the very early days of the tutorship the old story began 
may it please your majesty the young princes your majesty's incomparable sons may their shadows never be less are tired of their ponies and want horses instead the king was a little disappointed at this and actually laid down his pipe to talk is anything the matter with the ponies he asked may it please your majesty no only that your incomparable sons call them slow spirited lads thought the king quite consoled and gave the answer as usual then get them horses instead and when only a few days afterwards he was informed that his incomparable sons had wearied of their horses because they were slow and wished to ride on elephants instead his majesty began to feel disturbed in mind and wonder what would come next and how it was that the teaching of the tutors did not make his sons more moderate in their desires nevertheless said he what saith the proverb thou a man and lackest patience and again early ripe early rotten early wise soon forgotten my sons are but children yet after which reflection he returned to his pipe as before and disturbed himself as little as possible when messenger after messenger arrived to announce the fresh vagaries of the young princess it is impossible to enumerate all the luxuries amusements and delights they asked for obtained and wearied of during several years but the longer it went on the more hardened and indifferent their father became for said he what saith the proverb the longest lane turns at last at last my sons will have everything man can wish for and then they will cease from asking and i shall smoke my pipe in peace one day however the messenger entered the royal smoking-room in a greater hurry than ever and was about to commence his usual elaborate peroration respecting the incomparable sons when his majesty held up his hand to stop him and called out what is it now may it please your majesty your majesty's in what is it they want cried the king interrupting him may it please your majesty something to do something to do repeated the perplexed king of the hills something to do when half the riches of my empire have been expended upon providing them with the means of doing everything in the world that was delightful to the soul of man surely o oh son of a dog thou art laughing at my beard to come to me with such a message from my sons nevertheless may it please your majesty i have spoken but the truth your majesty's in hush with that nonsense interrupted the king your majesty's sons in fact then have sickened and pined for three mortal days because they have got nothing to do now then my sons are mad exclaimed poor king Skelim, laying down his pipe and rising from his recumbent position and it is time that i bestir myself and thereupon he summoned his attendants and sent for the royal hakim that is to say physician and the most learned and experienced dervish that is to say religious teacher of the neighbourhood for said he who knows whether this sickness is of the body or the soul and having explained to them how he had brought up his children the indulgences with which he had surrounded them the learning which he had instilled into them and the way in which he had preserved them from every annoying sight and sound he concluded what more could i have done for the happiness of my children than i have done and how is it that their reason has departed from them 
so that they are at a loss for something to do speak one or other of you and explain then the dervish stepped forward and opening his mouth began to make answer and said he o king of the hills in the bringing up of thy sons surely thou hast forgotten the proverb which saith he that would know good manners let him learn from him who hath them not and even so may the wise man say of happiness he that would know he is happy must learn it from him who is not but again doth not another proverb say will thy candle burn less brightly for lighting mine wherefore the happiness which a man has when he has discovered it he is bound to impart to those that have it not have i spoken well then the king and the hakim declared he had spoken remarkably well nevertheless i am by no means sure that king Shalim knew what he meant whereupon the dervish offered to go at once to the four incomparable princes and cure them of their madness in supposing they had nothing to do and king Shalim, in great delight and thoroughly glad to be rid of the trouble told him that he placed his sons entirely in his hands then taking him aside he addressed to him a parting word in confidence thou knowest o wise dervish that i have had no education myself and therefore as the proverb hath it to say i don't know is the comfort of my life yet what better is a learned man than a fool if he comes but to this conclusion at last see thou restore wisdom and something to do to the souls of my sons which the dervish promised to accomplish accordingly in company with the hakim he betook himself to the palace of the four princes his majesty's incomparable sons well in spite of all they had heard both the dervish and hakim were surprised at what they really found at the palace of the four princes it was as if everything that human ingenuity could devise for the gratification amusement and occupation both of body and mind had been here brought together horses elephants chariots creatures of every description for hunting riding driving and all sorts of sport were there countless in numbers and perfect in kind gardens pleasure grounds woods flowers birds and fountains to delight the eye and ear while within the palace were sources of still deeper enjoyment the songs of the poets and the wisdom of the ancients reposed there upon golden shelves musicians held themselves in readiness to pour exquisite melodies upon the air games exercises indoor sports in every variety could be commanded in a moment and attendants waited in all directions to fulfil their young master's will the poor old dervish and hakim looked at each other in fresh amazement at every step they took and neither of them could find a proverb to fit so extraordinary a case at last after a long walk through chambers and antechambers without end hung round with mirrors and ornaments they reached the apartment of the young princes where they found the four incomparable creatures lounging on four ottomans sighing their hearts out because they had nothing to do as the door opened the eldest prince glanced languidly around and inquired if the messenger had returned from their father and being answered that the dervish and hakim who now stood before him were messengers from their father he called out to know if the old gentleman had sent them anything to do 
"'The king, your father's spirit, is disturbed with anxiety,' answered the dervish, "'lest some sudden calamity should have deprived his sons of the use of their limbs or their senses, "'or lest their attendants should have failed to provide them with everything the earth affords delightful to the soul of man.' "'The king, our father's spirit, is disturbed with smoke,' replied the eldest prince, "'or he never would have sent such an old fellow as you with such an answer as that.' what's the use of the use of one's limbs or one's senses or all the earth affords delightful to the soul of man if we are sick of it all just go back and tell him we've got everything and are sick of everything and can do everything and don't care to do anything because everything is so slow so we will trouble him to find us something fresh to do there is that clear enough old gentleman the king your father answered the dervish has provided against even that emergency i am come to tell you of something fresh to see and to do no sooner had the dervish uttered these words than the four princes jumped up from the ottoman in the most lively and vigorous manner and clamoured to know what it was expressing their hope that it was a jolly lark in answer to which the dervish lifting himself up in a commanding manner stretched out his arm and exclaimed in a solemn voice young men you have exhausted happiness nothing new remains in the world for you but misery and want follow me there was something so unusual about the tone of his address and it was uttered in so imposing a manner that the young princes were as it were taken by storm and they followed the dervish and hakim without a word of inquiry or objection and he led them away from the palace on the beautiful hill away from all the sights and sounds that were collected together there to delight the soul of man with both bodily and intellectual enjoyment down into the city in the valley among the close-packed habitations of common men congregated there to labour and just exist and then die and presently the dervish and the hakim spoke together and then the hakim led the way through a gloomy by-street till he came to a habitation into which he entered and the rest followed without a word and there stretched upon a pallet wasted and worn with pain lay a youth scarcely older than the young princes themselves the lower part of whose body was wrapped round with bandages and who was unable to move the hakim proceeded at once to unloosen the fastenings and to examine the limbs of the sufferer they had been crushed by a frightful accident while working for his daily bread in the quarries of marble near the palace on the hill is there no hope my father he ejaculated in agony as the bruised thighs were exposed to the light revealing a spectacle from which the princess turned horrified away but the dervish stood between them and the door and motioned them back is there no hope repeated the youth shall i never again tread the earth in the freedom of health and strength never again climb the mountain-side to taste the sweet breath of heaven never again even step across this narrow room to look forth into the narrow street sobs of distress here broke from the speaker and covering his face with his hands he awaited the hakim's reply but while the latter bent down to whisper his answer the dervish addressed himself to the trembling princess learn here at last said he the value of those limbs the power of using which you took upon with such thankless indifference as it is with this youth to-day so may it be with you to-morrow if the decree goes forth from on high 
bid me not again return to your father to tell him you are weary of a blessing the loss of which could overwhelm you with despair the young princes continued aunt judy were as their father had said but children yet that is to say although they were fourteen or fifteen years old they were childish in not having reflected or learned to reason but they were not hard-hearted at bottom their tenderness for others had never been called out during their life of self-indulgence but the sight of this young man's condition whom they personally knew as one who had at times been permitted to come up and join in their games overpowered them with dismay they entreated the hakim to say if nothing could be done and when he told them that a nurse and better food and the discourse of a wise companion were all essential for the recovery of the patient there was not to say the truth one among them who was not ready with promises of assistance and even offers of personal help whose distress seemed to receive a sudden calm from the sympathy the young princess betrayed the hakim led the way to another part of the town where he entered a house of rather better description in a small room of which they found a pale middle-aged man who was engaged in making a coarse sort of netting for trees hearing the noise of the entrance he looked up and asked who it was but with no change of countenance or apparent recognition of any one there but as soon as the hakim had uttered the words it is i a gleam of delight stole over the pale face and the man rising from his chair stretched out his arms to the hakim entreating him to approach and then the young princess saw that the pale man was blind is there any change o cassian inquired the hakim kindly none my father answered the blind man in a subdued tone but shall i murmur at what is appointed surely not in vain was the privilege granted me of transcribing the manuscripts which repose on the golden shelves in the palace of the royal princes surely not in vain did i gather from the treasures of ancient wisdom and the divine songs of the poets sources of consolation for the suffering children of men has any one been of late to read to you asked the hakim but this inquiry the blind man seemed scarcely able to answer big tears gathered into the sightless eyes and folding his hands across his bosom he murmured out none o oh my father not to every one it is permitted to trace the characters of light in which the wise have recorded their wisdom i alone of my family knew the secret i alone suffer now but shall i not submit to this also with a cheerful spirit it is written and it behoves me to submit and with tears streaming over his cheeks the blind man took up the netting which he had laid aside and forced himself to the work seest thou exclaimed the dervish turning to the prince who stood next him apparently absorbed in contemplating the scene seest thou how precious are the powers thou hast wearied of in the springtime of life how dear are the opportunities thou hast not cared to delight in bid me not again return to the king your father to tell him his sons can find no pleasure in blessings the deprivation of which they themselves would feel to be shutting out the sun from the soul then the young prince to whom the dervish addressed himself wept bitterly and begged to be allowed to visit the blind man from time to time and read to him out of the manuscripts that reposed on the golden shelves in the palace on the hill and which he now learnt for the first time 
had been transcribed for his use and that of his brothers by the skill of the sufferer before him and when the blind man clasped his hands over his head and would have prostrated himself on the ground in gratitude to him who spoke asking who the charitable pitier of the afflicted could be the prince embraced him as if he had been his brother forced him back gently into his seat and bidding him await him at that hour on the morrow followed the hakim from the house and now the dervish and hakim spoke together once again and the place they visited next was of a very different description enclosed within walls and limited in extent because in the outskirts of a populous town the garden into which they presently entered was though but as a drop in comparison with the ocean no unworthy rival of the gorgeous pleasure grounds of the palace there too the roses unfolded themselves in their glory to the sun tiny fountains scattered their cooling spray around and singing birds suspended on overshadowing trees of this scene of miniature beauty a venerable was perceived seated under the shadow of an arbour in front of a table on which were scattered manuscripts papers parchments and dried plants and in one corner of which were laid a set of tablets and writing materials although the door by which they entered had fallen to with a noise as they passed through the old man did not seem to be aware of it nor did he notice their presence until they came so near that their shadows fell on some of the papers on the table then indeed he looked suddenly up and a smile and gesture of delight bade them welcome it was not difficult to divine that the old man had lost the sense of hearing and the dervish taking up the tablets from the table wrote upon them the following words which he showed to the young princes before presenting them to him for whom they were intended hast thou not wearied yet o brother of thy narrow garden and the ever-recurring succession of flowers and thy study of the secrets of nature whereat the deaf man smiled again and wrote upon the tablets can any one weary of tracing out the skilful providence of the divine mind is it not a world within a world o oh my brother and inexhaustible in itself the youngest prince pressed forward to read the answer and having read it turned to the dervish and said ask him why the singing birds are suspended in the garden whose voices he cannot hear write on the tablet my son said the dervish and when he had written it the old man answered in the same manner as before i would remember my infirmity my son lest my soul should be tied to the beauties of the visible world but now when i see the twittering bills of the feathered songsters i remember that one sense has departed and that the other must follow and i prepare myself for death trusting that those who have rejoiced in the divine mind however imperfectly here may rejoice yet more hereafter where no sense or power shall be wanting after this the venerable old man led them to a secluded corner of the garden where his young son was instructing one portion of a glass of children from the secrets of his father's manuscripts while another set of youngsters were engaged in cultivating flowers by regular instruction and rule many a bright cheerful face looked up at the old man and his visitors as they passed but no one seemed to wish or leave his work or his lesson or the kind young tutor who ruled among them we have wasted our lives o oh my father exclaimed the young princes as they passed from this sight tell us may we not come back again here to learn true wisdom from this man and his son 
having obtained the old man's willing consent to his the hakim retired conducting his companions back into the streets and the young princes whose eyes were now open to the instruction they were receiving came up to the dervish and said o oh, wise dervish we have learnt the lesson you would teach and we know now that it is but a folly and a mockery and a lie when a man says that he has nothing to do there is enough to do for all men if their minds are directed right have i not spoken well thou hast spoken well according to thy knowledge answered the dervish but thou hast yet another lesson to learn the prince was silenced and the dervish and hakim hurried forward to a still different part of the city where several trades were carried on and where in one place they came upon an open square about which a number of gaunt wild-looking men were lounging or sitting unoccupied listless and sad this is wrong my father is it not inquired one of the princes but the dervish instead of answering him addressed a man who was standing somewhat apart from the others and inquired why he was loitering there in idleness instead of occupying himself in some honest manner the man laughed a bitter mocking laugh and turning to his companions shouted out hear what the wise man asks when trade has failed and no one wants our labour he asks us why we stand idling here then facing the dervish he continued do you not know can you not see o teacher of the blind that we have got nothing to do nothing to do he repeated with a loud cry nothing to do with hearts willing to work and hands able to work here he stretched out his bared muscular arms to the dervish and wife and children calling out for food give us something to do thou preacher of virtue and industry he concluded throwing himself on the ground in anguish or at any rate cease to mock us with the solemn inquiry of a fool oh my father my father cried the young princes pressing forward this is the worst the very worst of all all things can be borne but this dire reality of having nothing to do let us find them something to do let us tear up our gardens plough up our lawns and pleasure grounds so that we do but find work for these men and save their children and wives from hunger and themselves from crime added the dervish solemnly then quitting his companions he went into the crowd of men and made known to them in a few hurried words that by the order of their young princes there would before another day had dawned be something found to do for them all the cheer of gratitude which followed this announcement thrilled through the hearts of those who had been enabled to offer the boon and so empowered them that after a liberal distribution of coin to the necessitous labourers they gladly hurried away now my task is ended cried the dervish as they retraced their steps to the palace on the hill my sons you have seen the sacred sorrow which may attach to the bitter complaint of having nothing to do henceforth seal your lips over the words for in all other cases but this they are as you yourselves have said a folly a mockery and a lie it is scarcely necessary to add continued aunt judy that the young princes returned to the palace in a very different state of mind from that in which they left it they had now so many things to do in prospect so much to plan and inquire about that when the night closed upon them they wondered how the day had gone and grudged the necessary hours of sleep 
but on the morrow just as they were eagerly recommencing their left-off consultations the dervish appeared among them and suggested that their first duty still remained unthought of the incomparable sons were now really surprised for they had been flattering themselves they were most laudably employed but the dervish reminded them that although their duty to mankind in general was great their duty to their father in particular was yet greater and that it behoved them to set his mind at rest by assuring him that henceforth they would not prevent him from smoking his pipe in peace by restless discontent and disturbing messages and wants to this the young princes readily agreed and thoroughly ashamed on reflection of the years of harris which with which they in their thoughtless ingratitude had worried poor king selim they repaired to his presence and without entering into unnecessary explanations which he would not have understood assured him that they were perfectly happy that they had got plenty to do as well as everything to enjoy that they were very sorry they had tormented him for so long a period of his life but that they begged to be forgiven and would never do so again king shalim was uncommonly pleased with what they said although he had to lay down his pipe for a few minutes to receive their salutations and give his in return after which they returned to their palace on the hill and led thenceforth useful intelligent and therefore happy lives reforming grievances consoling sorrows and taking particular care that everybody had the opportunity of having something to do and as they never again disturbed their father king selim with foolish messages he spoke his pipe in peace to the end of his days nice old selim observed number eight when aunt judy's pause showed that the story was done a conclusion which made the other little ones laugh but now aunt judy spoke again you like the story all of you could there be a doubt about it no selim king of the hills and his four sons was one of aunt judy's very 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 best inventions but they had the happy knack of always thinking so of the last they heard and yet there is a flaw in it said aunt judy aunt judy exclaimed several voices at once in a tone of expostulation yes i mean in the moral pursued she there is no christianity in the teaching and therefore it is not perfect although it is all very good as far as it goes but they were eastern people and i suppose mahometans or brahmins suggested number four exactly and therefore i could not give them christian principles and therefore although i have made my four princes turn out very well and do what was right for the rest of their lives as i had a right to do yet it is only proper i should explain that i do not believe any people can be depended upon for doing right except when they live upon christian principles and are helped by the grace of god to fulfil his will as revealed to us by his son jesus christ certainly it is always more reasonable to do right than wrong even when the wrong may seem most pleasant at the moment because as all people of sense know doing right is most for their own happiness as well as for everybody else's even in this world but although the knowledge of this may influence us when we are in a sober enough state of mind to think about it calmly the inducement is not a sufficiently strong one to be relied upon as a safeguard when storms of passion and strong temptations come upon us 
in such cases it very often goes for nothing and then it is a perfect chance which way a person acts even in the matter of doing good to others we need the christian principle as our motive or we may be often tempted to give it up or even be as cruel at some moments as we are kind at others it is very pleasant no doubt to do good and be charitable when the feeling comes into the heart but the mere pleasure is apt to cease if we find people thankless or stupid and that our labours seem to have been in vain and what a temptation there is then to turn away in disgust unless we are acting upon christ's commands and can bear in mind that even when the pleasure ends the duty remains and now aunt judy said in conclusion a kiss for the story-teller all round if you please she has had an invitation and is going from home to-morrow oh aunt judy ejaculated the little ones in not the most cheerful of tones well cried aunt judy looking at them and laughing you don't mean to say that you will not find plenty to do and plenty to enjoy while i am away come i mean to write to you all by turns and i shall inquire in my letters whether you have remembered to your edification the story of shalim king of the hills and his four sons end of nothing to do part two end of aunt judy's tales by mrs alfred gatty by margaret gatty